Let me ask you a question. Have you ever put your heart, mind, and soul into something only to realize that all of your efforts have been for naught? Okay? All of your efforts have been in vain. There were three college students um, from the University of Tennessee, of course, and they decided to, to do a road trip to Gainesville, Florida, okay, the armpit of the South, for the UT Florida game. And, and that did not elicit anything more than that? Okay. So, so they made their plans, okay? They, you know, they're road tripping, right? They're dudes. So they made their plans. They filled their car up with gas. Um, they, just, they, they secured their accommodations. They packed their bags, and they headed out. It was going to be a week-long road trip, okay? I mean, it only takes... 10 hours to get from Knoxville to Gainesville, but dudes can figure out how to make this last for five days, right? So they, they head in their car, they head south. They made it all the way to Hogtown, okay, the day before the game, only to find out the game had been canceled, okay, because this was the same week as 9-11. And so all games in the history of, of the country on that weekend had been canceled, but these geniuses had kind of missed the memo, right? Okay, so so everyone in the in the country knew this. They had no idea. They didn't read the newspaper. They're from Tennessee. If they could read it all, right? Okay, so so no internet, no radio. And, and in fact, when they said, "How did you guys miss this? What's going on? You put all this labor and effort and money and all this stuff," and they were like, "We just listened to CDs the whole way down." Okay, but anyway, so I remember on the front page, I think it was USA Today or one of the one of the newspapers on game day, there was a picture of them sitting in the swamp, okay, alone, okay, all by themselves. Okay, leave it to UT students to pull something like that. Okay, all of these labors for not. Now, as inconvenient as that was. Second story, nothing compared to what a man named Hiro Onada went through. See, see, Hiro was a soldier in the Japanese army during World War II. He was sent to the Philippines to do secret missions, okay? So kind of guerrilla warfare. Um, he was to, 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 to handle clandestine operations against American forces there. And so in 1945, of course, Japan surrendered but Hero, unfortunately, didn't get the word. Have you heard this? Okay, not a popular gig, all right? So he, he didn't get the word, so he kept hiding out. And he kept doing reconnaissance and taking notes and doing random acts of warfare after the war was over until finally, months and months later, the Japanese army were like, we've got a problem, okay? Dude's still fighting, and, and this war has been over for six months. And so they flew over the island, and they dropped leaflets saying, Come home, okay? What are you doing? What's going on? He didn't believe it. He thought it was propaganda from the United States or something. And so, so finally, he continued to hide out. He continued to, to, to be singularly focused on his mission. And this went on, you want to guess? Wait for it, how long? 30 years, okay? 30 years. Until finally... The Japanese government was like, we got some issues here. So, so they located this guy's commanding officer, who had since become a bookseller, by the way. They flew him to the Philippines, where he finally met this man, and he fulfilled the promise made in 1944, whatever happens, we'll come back to you. And he issued the order that it was okay, he could finally go home, which he did. Now, as, as heartfelt and well-intentioned as that man was, and for the 30 years that he devoted in his life thinking, thinking, 
he was fighting for the right cause and doing the right thing, his sacrifice was what? All for naught. Now, that in a sentence, I think, is Paul's central concern in this passage, okay? which is no small thing. You see, if you've been with us, you know this. The church in Corinth was Paul's baby. Paul had planted this church. He had lived there 18 months. He had written four letters. He had visited multiple times. He invested time and energy and people and resources in this. But all of that labor was in danger of going up in smoke. It was all threatened to be all for naught. You see, because the super apostles had rolled in, and they piggybacked off of Paul's work, and they attempted to discredit Paul and put Paul down and spread false innuendos and rumors. And so Paul has to write this letter to defend his ministry, not for his sake, but guys, for their sake. Paul is coming to a point in in, in this book, and it's a pivotal point. And look what he says in verse 1. He says, Paul pleads with them, he says, Corinthians, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Don't let it be all for naught. Now, that's Paul's concern for the church in Corinth. And I believe, folks, that this is God's concern for us. You see, there's a far greater tragedy than missing a game or even spent wasting 30 years of your life on a, on a deserted island in the jungle Guys, the greatest tragedy, here it is, okay? The greatest tragedy is that we would spend our human lives tasting the blessings of God, being exposed to His Word, hearing the Gospel, being in fellowship, going to church, teaching in Sunday school, yet, yet, in the end, fall away because our hearts had remained impervious to the gospel, because our hearts were unaffected by the truth of who God is and his claims upon our life. And that's Paul's concern for the Corinthians. Sounds kind of heavy. This is serious. Because it's our concern this morning. So, so here's where we're going. Just, we're going to try to answer three questions. Okay, Three questions this morning. Here they are. What does it mean exactly to receive the grace of God in vain? Pastor Paul, that sounds really scary. It sounds like you can lose your salvation. What are we talking about? What does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? That's the first question. Second, what gift does God give us to protect our souls from such a spiritual tragedy? Okay? What, what, what gift does he give us? Okay, what, what, what means of grace does he provide us so that we are not of that number? Okay, and the third question is, how do we apply and put into operation that gift? Got it? We with, we with it? Okay, we, nice and warm and toasty? We're ready to go. Okay, here we go. All right. First question, what does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? And that's, 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 that's not scary talk, okay? That's a legitimate concern and question because Paul raises it. Now, if you've been with us in 2 Corinthians um, this season, you know, right, that Paul's not one to tiptoe around what he's really thinking, is he? You know, he's not that kind of guy. You know, if, if you're a single dude, Paul's like your grandmother. Do you know what I mean by this? Okay. 
You, she, your grandma invites you over to, to lunch, and the first words out of her mouth as soon as she as sees you walk through the door is, are you dating any girls, right? Okay. Um, if, if so, why don't you have a girlfriend? And if you have a girlfriend, why aren't you marrying her? And if you are married, why aren't you having kids, right? Okay, that, that's grandma, right? So in every guy's life. That's Paul. Guys, there is no subtlety with Paul. He does not beat around the bush. There's no guile. He gets right to the heart of it, and look what he says. We appeal to you, Corinthians, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Okay, so the word vain um, um, literally means to be empty or, or hollow or, or to do something without effect. Okay, so we thought about those illustrations, those, all that labor that was invested by by that soldier, by those, those guys from, from um, going to the football game. Literally, to come to the end of something, and this, is, this, this gets at it, and be totally empty-handed. I've got nothing to show for it. You know, it's like the kid, we just came off the Christmas season. Is it, is it, too, is it too late to still use Christmas illustrations? Even if it is, I'm going to do it anyway, okay? And you're going to like it. Um, so, so, so it's like the kid in the Polar Express. And I'm not, not the annoying kid. You know that kid? Okay, the, the nerd kid? I love that kid. I don't know. I love, but not him, the, the Tom Hanks guy. When he gets Santa's bell, and where does he put Santa's bell? Rob, where does he put it? In his pocket, right? But what's, what's, what, what happens when he gets to the end of the, of the night? What does he realize? There's a hole in the pocket, right? Okay, he's what? Empty-handed. He's got nothing to show for it. Guys, Paul's deep burden for the church is that after having ostensibly received God's grace, that they were in danger of simply walking away and being empty-handed. And we're going to find out in a couple of weeks when we get to 1 Corinthians 7 exactly what all was going on. But it seemed that the, the, the Corinthians were keeping a very strong relationship and flirtation okay, with sin. Although they had professed Christ, they were still doing gladly many of the same things they had done ostensibly before they were believers. So 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 16. He, Paul says, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He says, for we are the temple of the living God. Now, now here's, I think, what Paul's getting at when he, when he talks about this idea of receiving the grace of God in vain. Folks, you see, it's possible, it's possible for someone to make a profession of faith and to be baptized and to be a part of the church even be an elder in a church, yet demonstrate by their hardened heart, by their refusal to repent from sin, that they may have actually never understood and embraced the gospel at all. Now, we're not talking about losing your salvation. As we talked last week from 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin was made sin for you and for me so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when God changes a heart, he changes a heart. And there is no going back, okay? We're not talking about losing our salvation. Hebrews 6 
talks about those who have tasted the blessings of God, who seem for a season okay, to be spiritually alive and active and even interested and might know Bible verses and might come to fellowship group. But over time, the cares of life and the trials and struggles and we think about Matthew 13 and the seeds of the sower, they fall away. They walk away from Christ. We say, no, no, they did not lose their salvation. They just may have never had it. Their hearts may have never been gripped by the gospel of grace. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, Corinthians, I'm pleading with you. Okay? Don't receive the grace of God in vain because they were living like they had no change of identity whatsoever. Sin did not bother them, for many of them. There was, there was no entreatableness. They were unteachable on many fronts. And Paul's saying, you might be, you Corinthians, you might be exposing something about your true heart's condition by what you're doing. And so he makes an appeal. Look, look back at the text. He says, we appeal to you. That sounds a little academic and sterile, okay? Like, I'm going to make a formal request. I'm going to make a, I'm going to bring a, a, a petition before the bar, okay? That's not, what, that's not what this means. Paul says, I'm appealing. It literally means to entreat, to make an emotional appeal or plea. Parents, have you ever had those kind of engagements with your kids where you're just making a plea, okay, Cling to the grace of God. You know, John Piper, uh, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist in, in Minnesota, um, has, has, tells a story. Um, there was a missionary um, on the field that Bethlehem was supporting. And this particular missionary um, was caught in an illicit affair as a woman. And um, she... Um, was intent on divorcing her spouse, leaving her family, and pursuing this illicit relationship. And so she came off the field, and she agreed to meet with Pastor John. And she was determined, okay, she was stubborn, she was going to do what she did, what she was going to do. And this is, this is, a, this is a missionary, as we've seen this with pastors, we've seen this with ministry workers, we've seen this with leaders, we've seen this with, unfortunately, people even in our own body. And here's what John, what would you say to that person? What would you say to that person? Parents, what would you say if that was your child? Fellowship group leaders, what would you say if this was someone in your group? Here's what John Piper said. You know, he said, I, I don't know your heart. So he doesn't make a a final determination. He just says, but I don't think God's word gives you any assurance of your salvation because the way that you are walking in unrepentant sin puts you very dangerously close to receiving the grace of God in vain. And John Piper says, she was horribly offended. I can't believe that you would make a judgment of my heart. Guys, was he being judgmental? Was he being legalistic? Months later, as she had turned and she had repented, 
and she had come back to the Lord and back to our family, she pointed back to that time and said, that was the critical juncture. That was the crucial decision. That she came face to face and realized this warning was actually a means of God's grace. Brooks, do you see this passage this morning as a grace to you? Okay, as a grace to me, um, as a as a as a grace to whatever hardened heart we might have. Because I'll, I'll be honest, um, you know, this was me. You know, some of you know a little bit about my testimony, but. I, I was all this. I was raised in the church. I professed Christ at an early age. I knew as much about the Bible and the gospel as anyone my age, and maybe even those older than me. And I had an attitude that I can do what I want, when I want. I've got my grace card. You know what I mean by that? This is my get-out-of-jail-free card. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, God's going to be there. But as I look back, I realize I was playing with fire. There was not an urgency in my life until God graciously, I believe, my sophomore year in college saved me and opened my eyes to my need for Jesus Christ. And he woke me up with words like this. Look at verse 2. Here's what Paul says. He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. He says, behold, now, Oaks, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And you may say, Pastor Paul, you're just trying to scare us. You know what I would say? Yes. <laughs> a holy fear. A holy, a, a holy, a holy scared, Right? A gospel fear. Because let me just say this. If you are struggling this morning, if, if you find yourself in deep sin, if you find yourself in intractable sin, if, if you have personal issues and problems and things going on that nobody here knows about, guys, there is hope for you. There is hope for me. Paul says... Today, 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 you can turn. Today, you can come and confess your sins. Today, you can cling to the mercies of Christ. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He'll receive you. But, but this is something we all need to heed. Um, whatever we, we claim about our spiritual status Let's not receive the grace of God in vain. Let's not do that. Let's, let's turn to Jesus today. All right, that's what I think Paul's getting at. Okay? Are we going to recover from that one? Okay, let's, okay let's, let's, let's move here. Here's the second question. Okay? This is e- equally important. What gift okay, or what means of grace does God give you and God give me to, pers- to protect our souls from that kind of spiritual tragedy? Okay. What, what's his means of grace that he utilizes in our life? Because a lot of times, we think that our fight to live in the grace of God is something that only involves 
two principal players, okay? So, so I just said, are you struggling? Are you deep in sin? And a lot of us have this idea that, that it's me and God. So when things get hard, I pray, okay? When I'm tempted or doubt, okay, I read his word. When I'm struggling, I get up early in the morning and I meditate upon his promises. And by the way, keep doing all of those things, okay? Keep doing all those things. They're vital. They're crucial. But Paul says something else is crucial for sustaining us in the fight for faith, ensuring that we don't receive the grace of God in vain. Look at verse 1 again. He says, Paul, and this is very, this is amazing. He says, working together with God. He says, Corinthians, I'm working with God for your soul. And the word that he uses, okay, I can't pronounce it. I took Greek, but I can't say it, okay? It's the same word we use for synergy, synergontis, okay? To work together, to cooperate, okay? What Paul is saying is that, Christian, in reality, there's actually three players in your life in your fight for faith, okay? There's, there's, in reality, there's three. There's, there's you, and there's God, but then he says God synergizes. God works together with other people to care for your soul and my soul. The grace of God, Paul says, which, which, which Paul does not want us to receive in vain, and here's the paradox, it comes in part through other people. Is that, is that, I mean, is that mind-blowing? We have the privilege of synergizing with God for the sakes of other people's souls. And so, so th- there's a profound implication from this. And I, hope, I mean, hopefully you see it right away. This means that the, to the extent that we cut ourselves off from meaningful Christian relationship and engagement, to the extent that we do that, we in fact are cutting ourselves off from the very grace of God. See, you can't have Christ without his people. You can't have Christ without the body of Christ. You can't have Christ without his church. Because there's a story, and and many of you are very familiar with it, Chris McCandless. Ever heard of Chris McCandless? Um, he He was sort of immortalized in the book Into the Wild, in the movie Into the Wild. He's a 24 year old honors graduate from um, a wealthy Virginia family. And so McCandless decided that he was going to cut ties with his family. He was going to donate all of his savings, $24,000, to charity, and he was going to travel westward. Okay? He decided, I'm going to go at it alone. I'm going I'm to throw off the shackles of culture and of capitalism and convention. I'm going to be free from all restrictions, and anybody who would place any demands on me whatsoever. And his journey brought him to, do you know where? Alaska, interestingly enough, where he hiked alone into the wilderness. He spent about 100 days there living um, off the land, hunting, foraging, and did anybody know where he lived? In an abandoned what? Bus, okay? When they found his body weeks after his death, 
Okay? McCandless weighed 67 pounds. And the Alaska state coroner's listed, sal- listed starvation as his official cause of death. And, and by the way, if you go online, there is all sorts of crazy controversy about this cat, right? Okay? Some people are like, he didn't die of starvation, he ate some poisonous potato seeds or something, whatever, okay? Other people are like, he's a hero, he was awesome. What do the people in Alaska think? He was dumb, okay? He was stupid, all right? All those sorts of things. All of that misses the point, okay? See, see the root of McCandless's flight, whatever the reason, in his death is simply this. Guys, he thought he was better alone. He thought he was better by himself. But in this, he was deceived. And it cost him his life, his physical death. But you know what? This is a parable, is it not? For many of us spiritually, is it not? See, the question is, do you and I pursue Christian relationships as if our spiritual lives depended on it. Do you? Do I? Because guess what? They do. And and let me say something to, to, to the men in this room. When we're talking about pursuing Christian friendships and relationships, your wife can be a wonderful partner for you, camaraderie, and that's crucial. But if you talk to your wife once a month, okay, about your spiritual life, okay, that does not count, okay? We're talking about meaningful, ongoing, regular relationships with people. So, so application just 101, okay? Application 101. The Christianity 101. Guys, do, do you this morning have a venue outside of this place, okay, this one hour a week, where you have significant Christian relationships, okay? Do, do, do you have a venue, okay? And if you don't, we want to help you, okay? We have these things called fellowship groups, okay? And, and, and fellowship groups are not the end-all be-all, okay? But they provide a pattern, a template for ongoing relationships in the body. Now, that's not the only place that you can find fellowship in meaningful relationships. But I'll be honest with you. In my 19 years as pastor here, I think it's almost always, I rarely find someone, if they are not plugged into a regular sort of small group, it's rare that they are engaged in kind of the meaningful Christianity, Christian relationships that Paul is talking about here. It's rare. Guys, we want to serve you. We want to help you. We want to come alongside of you. Because this is not a two-person race for you in your spiritual life. There's, there, there's three principal players. There's God and you, and there are his people. And you may say, Paul, Pastor Paul, I'm not a small group person. And what would I say? Tough, okay? I mean, get over your phobias or neuroses or whatever it is, Okay? Not enough, that, that wasn't in the word. But anyway, nonetheless, guys, why don't we go there? Here's a question for us. Why don't we go there? Why is this so hard for us? Men, I'm going to just say it again. Why is this so hard for us? I, this was illustrated for me this week when um, some, some other sickness 
invaded our house. Anyway, it hit me the word. Did it hit the reeds too? I think I caught it from the reeds. No, actually, I gave it to the reeds at fellowship group. Anyway, so, but I woke up. I'm sick all week. I have a stomach virus. And Susan's like, you're going into urgent care. And I'm like, no, I'm not. She's like, you're going into urgent care. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not doing that, okay? Um, she's like, oh, yeah, you are. And I was too sick to, like, fight about it. All right, anyway, so, so I got in the car. We went. This, there's just something in, in men, Okay, that, that programs us to do this. So, so the, the, the physician's assistant comes in and says, how are you doing? And what do I say? Well, not bad. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little sick and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, but I'm doing better. I think I'm going to be okay and all that. And Susan's like, he's sick as a dog. Okay, we're all miserable. He's vomiting everywhere. He vomited over here on the way to the office. Okay, you know, and what's interesting is that, that, once the, once the doctor knew how bad I was, I was feeling, do you know, you know what, like, miraculously happened? She helped me. Like, like, she gave me a big shot, and I felt better. It was, like, it was, it was amazing. Guys, when, 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 when we are too prideful to admit our spiritual need, okay, it short-circuits us from God's grace, okay? And we need his grace to endure, Guys, I don't want any of us to receive the grace of God in vain. And God says, I don't want you to either. I've given you this awesome thing, and it's called the church, and it's called his people, and it's called relationships. And it's humbling, guys. It's humbling. It's humbling to expose your need. It's humbling to admit I'm having a hard time. Because this is what prevents us from doing this stuff. And Paul says, if you don't want to receive the grace in God in vain, cling to me and cling to his people. Okay, last point. What kind of relationships are we talking about? Okay, and, and Paul lists a whole bunch of things here. And we're just going to hit a couple, couple of highlights. What sort of relationships, okay, or what should characterize our relationships the kinds of relationships that God would want us to run towards okay, as, as a part of our Christian life here at Four Oaks. Look at verse 3. Paul says something really interesting. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that, listen to this, no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Okay, what, what does Paul mean? Paul says, I want to minister and relate to you in a way that totally takes me out of the equation. See, I want you to wrestle with God and his truth. I don't want you to wrestle with me. You see, Paul wanted to work with God on behalf of the Corinthians in such a way that they got more of God and less of Paul. See, he wanted to make... God, the central controlling reality in their relationship, and not Paul's ego, or not Paul's gifts, or not Paul's strength. So Paul says, I'm going out of my way to do everything I can to put no stumbling block in your path, because I want you, through our relationship, to see more of Christ. You know what Paul's describing there? That is true Christian fellowship. Guys, we had an elders retreat this weekend, as Pastor Dave mentioned. And we talked about this issue, okay? And we said, guys, we're going to run hard after relationships with each other this year. 
and and we'll next next Sunday by the way is 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 kind of Vision Sunday. It's where we kind of pick a pause and we kind of update on the life of the church. And I'll unpack some of the things we talked about as as an el- as elders. But but this is one of the things we talked about. You know you know men we can we guys can get together and eat tacos and watch the AFC Championship today. Are we watching that today? Okay, Patriots. No. Okay. All right. Anyway, now we. Men eat tacos, don't say a word, and watch the game, and that's like awesome Christian fellowship, right? Now, now it's awesome hang time, okay, and we need to do that kind of stuff, okay, and it goes better with a cold beverage, and you choose your own, um, but, but guys, that's not Christian fellowship, okay? That is not Christian fellowship. It, it's fun, okay? Paul's talking about real Christian fellowship, which means that Christ is at the center, it means that we relate to each other in such a way that I got more of Christ and his promises after that interaction than I had before. Guys, that's what we need. That's what you need. And listen to the way, some, the way, the, the way that Paul tries to posit himself in relationship to others. Okay, look at, look at verse 5. He says, As servants of Christ, we commend ourselves in every way by great, in, you know, and this is what he says, by great endurance. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger. You're like, whoa. That's like, I just want to watch the game today, Pastor Paul. Okay, no, what up? Okay. Guys, most of you will not have to, to endure that in your relationships and friendships. But would you be willing? Would you be the kind of person who just endures? As you know, some of, the, some of the sweetest relationships and friendships that I've had in my life, that Susan's had in her life, that of, of, of marriage couple, married couples that we've had relationship with, is that they've just endured. They've just gone the long road with us. Men have gone the long road with me. And Paul said, those super apostles, they're here today, gone tomorrow. They weren't here when, when we started things, they're not going to be here when the going gets tough. I'm right here. Okay? Paul also is someone who's trustworthy. Look at verse 6. Listen to all these character traits that characterize his relationship. He said, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech. See, for Paul, character was king. And if they were going to wrestle with God over his grace, he wanted to be between them and God. He wanted to re- remove all offense and obstacle. Guys, the gospel is offensive enough, okay? It's the stone that makes them stumble. It makes the rock that makes them fall. We don't want to unnecessarily interject our own foolishness into that equation, okay? We just want to get out of the way so God can do what he's going to do. So what about you? Are, are these the kinds of relationships that you want to run hard after? Are they the ones that I want to run hard after? And, and, and this is important, but not just to receive from, but to give to. Because what does Paul say at the end of this text? Look at verse 11. He says, we have spoken freely to, to you, Corinthians. Our heart, now listen, is wide open. In other words, Paul's like, I'm, I'm giving myself. I'm, I'm endeavoring to be this kind of man. And listen to what he says. Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us 
but you are restricted in your own affections. In other words, it's not reciprocal. So Paul says, in return, and I speak as to children, he says, widen your hearts also. See, Paul never envisions relationships as a place that, or the church, as a place that we receive the relational benefits as something we merely consume and receive. He assumes that all of us are extending God's grace to one another and receiving from one another. Because do you realize one of the reasons that God has you here? It's not simply for you to not receive the grace in God in vain. And that, that's totally, fundamentally that's true. To receive grace from other relationships. But you know, why, you know why else you're here? To help others not receive the grace in God in vain. To be vested in the life of this church through relationships. Guys, that's why we talk so much about membership. Because membership is not a, not a country club calling card. It's not, not a rubber stamp. It's not, an, it's not a, a legal designation primarily. You know what membership is? It's people who come together who, who make a commitment. I'm going to love you. You're going to love me. I'm going to be in relationship with you. You're going to be in relationship with me. Guys, it's, it's where our hearts are bound together in trust and endurance and love, where we spur one another on so that we won't receive the grace of God in vain. Because when we begin to view relationships in that way, it just changes everything. Not just receive, but to give. Because when we do this, and we're going to close with this, when we pursue those kind of relationships, when we pursue the grace of God with others, you know, we're, we're really imitating the gospel there. That, that famous hymn, Jesus sought me when a stranger. See, just as Paul was pursuing the church in Corinth, they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Jesus said, that was the same for us. Jesus sought us when we were a stranger. We were wandering from the fold of God. But guess what? He was here to rescue us from danger, interposed by his precious blood. Guys, this is the gospel. Paul is living out the gospel and if you're like me, and you take a survey of your life, and you're like, I am, I am way out there, we echo with Paul, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of change. Today is the day of repentance. Because that's what this table symbolizes for us. This is where we come to this table, and we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and who we are in relationship with each other. That's why Paul says this is a koinonia. This is a fellowship. It is a shared meal together. So as our, as, our, as our band comes back up and gets ready to play and lead us into communion, I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads and to ask God to prepare your hearts to receive this meal as a reminder of your participation in him. And our leaders can come and be ready to serve.